Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to our first reading, Zechariah chapter 3, and reading for our text, the first two verses. Zechariah chapter 3. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Zechariah 3 and the first two verses. And that which is on my spirit is Satan's opposing of God's people. Zechariah prophesied at the same time as Haggai, and their work was to encourage the children of Israel that had come back from Babylon in the building of the temple again. They'd had much discouragement from those in the land and for 16 years the work had ceased. In spite of the opposition that we have set before us here and that came in the form of men, of enemies and of Satan himself, the temple was rebuilt and rebuilt in a quick time once that work began. And it is an encouragement to us. The references that are here in our text is that here is Jerusalem that 70 years before was destroyed, it was burnt with fire, and yet they, after their captivity in Babylon, they were brought back to their land. And here is Joshua, the high priest, and he's referred to here as a brand plucked out of that fire, and he is here now being used to reinstigate the worship of God and to rebuild again the temple. Later on in Ezra's time, this was going to be much more established, especially in the uh, true worship of God. But here we have the picture of Satan resisting and standing up against the people of God. God is building his church. The building here literally is being done. But Satan is resisting. But we have the Lord's answer and rebuke to Satan. The Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? So on one hand we have Satan's resistance. On the other hand we have the Lord standing up for his people, resisting Satan and overcoming him. And the people of God will know right through to the end of time, what it is to have an adversary in Satan. This chapter is a beautiful chapter. It's a chapter that points to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, the branch. In verse 8, I'll bring forth 
my servant the branch. It is that stone that shall the churches shall be built upon the seven eyes, the seven churches in Asia, and it shall be uh, the iniquity of them removed in one day. Words would remember that which was done at Calvary in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of the people of God, their sins were all put away in that one day, that one time. Right the way through time, they are called by grace, they are brought into this world, they are converted through the work of the Holy Spirit, and they come to faith in different times, in different ways, and different ages, but in one time, in one day, on the, on the cross of Calvary, the Lord there put away all of his people's sins. From Abel right through to the very last, there is no other sacrifice for sin. There was no other time that it was put away. And there it was done. There it was brought to pass that uh, the seed of the woman should bruise the serpent's head and that he should bruise his heel. So, as this applies also, not just to Joshua here, the vision that was seen of him, but every one of God's people, I want to, for our encouragement, uh, firstly set forth what a powerful adversary opposes God's people, that is Satan, a powerful adversary opposing God's people. And then the promises of help, God's promises of help for his people. In this text, the first verse is the, the adversary that we have, Satan standing up to resist. But in the second, we have the Lord rebuking Satan and the help that we have against him. But firstly, the powerful adversary, may we be reminded of this. You know, we, each of us that do know our own heart, have an adversary within. We have a wicked and evil heart. But we also have an adversary in Satan. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. And we start right at the very beginning when God created man. He created him pure and holy, without sin, and gave him the commandment that he should eat of every fruit of the tree of the garden except of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And right then Satan resisted. Satan came in, hath God said, and slurred against God, made out that he had a wrong motive of preventing them from that tree, that he would know that if they ate of that, they should be as God's known good and evil. And he came into man who at that time was not fallen, was pure, capable of falling by a willful fall and disobedience and rebellion and through Satan's temptation that man fell. 
from that position of being pure, not a sinner as we are. And we are to be reminded of this, the very origin, the very way that sin entered into the world and death by sin. And Satan's hand in that, and yet our willful disobedience and rebelling against God. We would also remember how immediately in the garden the Lord gave then the promise of the seed of the woman that should bruise the serpent's head. And right through time there will be that conflict between God's seed and the seed of Satan. We see it right in Cain and in Abel, the working in those two brothers and how while one sought to serve the Lord in the way that he had shown and to set forth the blood offering and sacrifice of the coming Messiah, the other sought from the fruit of the ground that which was cursed to bring unto God and in the end murdered his brother. But the promise, and in these gospel times, we can survey from the Garden of Eden right through to the Garden of Gethsemane, and we can see to the, in the cross of our Lord and see in the Church of God all of God's promises coming to pass. And however much time Satan has sought to destroy the Church of God, to cut off that line, he has not succeeded is not happened and the Lord has triumphed above Satan and his promises have come to pass and the Lord Jesus Christ has come and he has risen again from the dead and ascended up on high. And we are to remember that, remember those great two times as it were, the time when sin entered into the world and then at Calvary when it was dealt with, and both times as Satan was seeking to destroy the Lord, if you like, to bruise his heel. And even when the Lord was born, how he sought in killing all of the children in Bethlehem to erase, to get rid of that holy child. And again in that, he did not succeed. But we see what an adversary he is and how he sought against the Lord to fight against him. And he will with the people of God. So I want to just think of some of the ways that Satan is set before us in the word. He is an accuser of the brethren. Remember in the book of Job, we have Satan going amongst the children of God and how that he accused Job uh, and that he served God, really, you might say, for the loaves and the fishes. Our Lord set before Satan had he considered his servant uh, Job. And he said, doth, he God, doth Job serve God for naught? Hast thou not made an hedge about him? Now Satan, he knew that in the natural way, and so much today, men will follow God, they'll follow religion, while everything goes well. A prosperity gospel is preached in many churches. As long as everything goes smoothly, as long as we have everything, 
then they'll follow the Lord. When it goes wrong, when there's tribulation and trial, then they forsake the Lord. And this is what Satan thought would happen with Job. And he knew, and that would be true in many, many people. We read of our Lord in the parable of the sower, where there is the one that was sown upon the stony ground, and because there was not much earth, it sprang up quickly, but then it soon withered away. And his interpretation, those that receive the word, first with joy, but then comes tribulation, persecution because of the word. And then by and by they are offended and they walk back no more. Well, here Satan was permitted by God to touch all that Job had and later his health as well. And God did it to really to prove Satan was a liar in that sense, to prove also that Job did not just serve God for the things that he'd been given and to prove the grace of God that God had given to Job And God was going to use it also for Job's refining and blessing and the searching of his heart, teaching of his friends as well. There was many things that the Lord brought out through the book of Job. It's a book that has been a comfort to many of the Lord's dear people who have known those trials and troubles that come. This was not chastening. This was the tribulations and trials brought about in one sense because of Satan's enmity and hatred for the people of God. We read at Calvary that the accuser of the brethren is cast down. He accused them day and night. And in one sense that accusation, especially the Old Testament saints, Where is the blood? Why are they in heaven? How can they be in heaven when no blood has been shed yet? But as soon as that blood is shed and the Lord has come, then Satan has nothing more to say. But when God promises a thing, it is as good as done. So Abel and all those Old Testament saints, all recorded in Hebrews 11. They lived by faith, they died in faith, trusting that Christ would come and that he would put away their sins by the sacrifice of himself. They saw it through the types and shadows of the Old Testament and the blood of bulls and of goats that pointed to Christ's one sacrifice. But don't be... uh, surprised if Satan comes in this way to us as an accuser of the brethren. Was not our Lord accused of being the prince of devils and casting out devils? Was he not accused of being an imposter? He was many accusations, false accusations were laid at our Lord. And so there will be with the people of God. Satan is known as the accuser of the brethren. He is also a provoker. We read that at the end of David's life, King David, that Satan stood up against Israel 
and he provoked David to number Israel. We can compare the account in Chronicles with that in in Samuel, where we read in one hand that it is Satan, and the other hand it was the Lord. Well, in the book of Job as well, we read the Lord is in control, not Satan. And though the Lord uses Satan and has him in control, Satan's thinking he is doing his attacking and his his work, but the Lord turns it about for good. If we if we had someone in our town that was vandalising and they were smashing places up. Uh, that evil was their work. But if we had a, a property that we wanted demolished, we wanted it taken down, and we led those people to them, we didn't let them know really that we wanted that knocked down. And they would think that they were causing havoc and destructing this place, but actually they were doing just what we wanted them to do. And Satan so often is in that way And instead of gaining what he hopes to have gained, he actually turns about for good. But, and we think of the case with David numbering Israel. David had been told that he should not build the temple of God, but his son should. And he prepared with all his might in his lifetime, but where was the temple going to be built? And it was through numbering of Israel and the Lord answering David in the threshing floor of Arona the Jebusite on Mount Moriah, the same place as what Abraham offered up his son, that there was where the temple was built. And so we see the end that the Lord had in view and dealt with the children of Israel for their sins at the same time. But it doesn't change that Satan at that time was a provoker, one that was provoking even a man after God's own heart to do something that was wrong. And even when Joab, who wasn't one of the Lord's people, spoke what was right and tried to stop David from doing it, David would not hear. It should make us be very careful and really realise what a strong, powerful, if the Lord give him permission, Satan can be to be provoking us to do things that are wrong. Don't just think, well, I'm a child of God, so Satan can't make me do what is wrong. No, he can. He did with David. We think then of the tempter of our Lord. When our Lord was baptised, the Spirit led him into the desert to be tempted of the devil. In one sense, it was a proving that he truly was the Son of God, the second Adam. The first Adam was tempted once and fell. The second, our Lord Jesus Christ, suffered 40 days without eating or drinking, fasting, and then Satan comes along. What does he tempt him on? Food. Adam had all of the Garden of Eden, everything to eat, and he was tempted on one forbidden thing and fell. 
our Lord had nothing to eat for forty days and then was tempted in a way, if thou be the Son of God, command these stones that they be made bread. A wonderful opportunity to prove that he was the Son of God. But to be Satan's servant and to use the miracles to bring about that to relieve his hunger and Satan came those three times and the Lord answered him each time with the word of God. It is written, it is written. And when Satan tried to answer as well with the word of God, the Lord then, it is written again. Compare scripture with scripture. Satan will take scripture out of its context and he will then cause us to walk in the wrong way. But if we can compare scripture with scripture, then we can see where he is erring, where he is tempting us in the wrong way. And Lord Jesus Christ stood that test, a wonderful, wonderful witness that he wasn't a fallen man, he wasn't a sinner, he was a pure, spotless, eternal Son of God. We compare the temptation of Satan in Eden to Adam, and the temptation of our Lord in the wilderness. It's vital for us to truly know that as one of our hymns says, our captain stood the fiery test and we shall stand through him. But then we have the account of Peter. Satan desiring to have the people of God that he might sift them as wheat. He might toss them about and really shake them about so much that, and bring them to confusion and bring them to deny the Lord. Peter had said so affirmatively that though all men forsake thee, yet will not I. And that he was sure he would not deny the Lord. But our Lord said to him that Satan hath desired to have you that he might sift thee as wheat, but I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Satan desires to have you, desires to have not just Peter, but every one of the children of God. But Peter is going into that fire and into that situation, so the Lord says, I prayed for thee, singular, I prayed for thee specifically at this time. It's a beautiful encouragement to us of the Lord's intercession and prayer for his people. But Peter went into that. And you might say, was that prayer answered? Because Peter denied his Lord those three times. But our Lord didn't pray that he wouldn't deny him. He prayed that his faith would not fail. And Peter came out of that trial still a believer still a follower of the Lord. You know, if we had a tree, a small tree perhaps growing up, straight up, and the wind came along and it blew that tree over, when the wind stopped, the tree comes back up straight again. And we find with Peter, in her temptation, he denied his Lord, but afterwards he comes up and he's still following the Lord. And that is a great encouragement for the people of God. That though they fall, yet shall they arise. 
Though they are tempted, and Satan, as soon as he tempts, and then he falls, and he turns accuser, and he accuses them of doing the very thing that he tempted them to do in the first place. And we had to remember that. What happened to Peter, it was Satan desiring to have a child of God to do with him as he wants to do to him. We think then of Paul when he writes to the Thessalonians and he says to them that Satan hindered us. The paths that they were walking, the place that they were going, they realised that Satan was hindering them and stopping up their paths. And we need to be wise unto that. You know, sometimes we might think, well, maybe because our way is hindered, then it is not right. We should not go in that way. And sometimes that can be true. But other times it is right and it is Satan hindering us. Jonah could perhaps have said, well, my way is right. I've got the fare and I've got a boat and it's going where I want to go. But it wasn't right. We would remember that Satan can be a hinderer and to recognise that. If we know the way the Lord would have us to go and have us to walk, then we more easily recognise when it is Satan that is hindering us and stopping up our way. Again, we would say on that, the Lord overrules those things for good. He turns them about for good. We think of the hindrance that was through uh, the king of Moab bringing Balaam to come and curse the children of Israel. It ended up with them being blessed Blessed not just once, but blessed three times the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Ghost in, in three places and seven times a complete blessing. And the beautiful, even spoken through Balaam, the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that was a, a hindrance, as it were, that was worth having to have that blessing. But then we have that which is said by Peter, your adversary the devil, that goeth about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, leaving no doubt whatsoever that the child of God does have an adversary in the devil, not just in men, but principalities and powers. The devil would love the church of God to believe that he doesn't exist. He's just an imagination. That he's just uh, something that can easily be accounted for. No. No, Satan exists. He is a very real adversary and a powerful adversary. And we ourselves have no might or power against him. But our power and our strength is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to say to those of you that may be so tempted, tempted in things, tried, maybe you've fallen in some respects. Maybe there's those times that you've been accused and found it very, very hard to, to bear that. 
Other times you've done those things, you've so regretted doing. You may be like David and look back, why didn't I listen? Why didn't I listen to that advice? Or to even think, as David no doubt did, he said, it was me that sinned. I number the children of Israel. What have these done? And you see others suffering because of our own actions. And yet you see this path and you might think, well, mine is unique and mine is because I'm not a child of God and because the work of the Lord is not in me, why I've fallen these times and why I've walked in these ways. But the word of God says, no, the people of God have an adversary and he does attack them and sometimes he is permitted to go long ways with them, but he will never destroy them. And when the Lord is building his church, as building this, the second temple here, it will be built. The foundation of God standeth sure, the Lord knoweth them that are his. He shall bring forth the top stone, crying, Grace, grace unto it. He will complete the work and he will save his people in spite of Satan and all his oppositions and all the things that he brings against his people. But sometimes it can be very hard and we reel to and fro, stagger like a drunken man. Feel that it's just wave after wave of temptations and trial. If you've read Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, you'll read at one time there, the pilgrim, he thought that it was him saying and thinking all of those things coming into his mind. And he didn't realise that it was Satan suggesting them all and tempting him and putting those things into his mind. He is an adversary. And we are then to be encouraged to answer him or to walk in the way thinking of God's promises of help. And I want to, to look at this in the second place. God's promises of help for his people. Perhaps it would be a good place to start with dear Peter. You know Peter was told that when they are converted or when they are restored that he was to strengthen his brethren and so in 2 Peter and chapter 2 verse 9 we have uh, Peter telling uh, the accounts telling of how God dealt with Noah, how he dealt with Sodom and Gomorrah, how he delivered Lot. And he says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. The Lord knoweth how. And how precious that that is. The Lord knoweth just how to deliver you in your trial and your difficulty and your temptation. And you might look at all the different ways you think, I don't know how to get out of this, how to be delivered from it, how to escape, maybe from the uh, habits of sin, the temptations of sin, the occasions to sin, how shall it be that the Lord knows how to do it? And that is a great 
comfort for the people of God. The Lord knew how to restore Peter. He knew how to keep him and how to bring him again to be of use and a blessing. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. We read in our second reading in Ephesians chapter 6 of the whole armour of God. Put on, on verse 11, put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand. What against? Against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so we exhort you to take unto us that whole armour of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. You notice that which we have set before us here, the truth and the blessed breastplate of righteousness. One thing that Satan will all the time try to bring back to is accusing of our sin. And we may say like Luther when he was presented with the whole catalogue of his sins and Satan said, look, here are all your sins. And he said, yes, they are all my sins, but right on the bottom, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth from all sin. There is the answer. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we are seeking for heaven on our own righteousness, then we have no answer to Satan. But when we are seeking it in Christ's righteousness, then we have an answer. It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. And he is having the truth of God is to be our strength, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We're walking in the ways of the gospel and taking that shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The helmet of salvation, the salvation of the Lord, that is from everlasting to everlasting, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What a blessed thing that we have, and we have not time to properly look into each of these parts, but it is with the Christian in complete armour that is given by God for him to wield, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto. This is the path for the child of God that God has given to him, a promises of help, a promise of that armour of God. Then we have that which is spoken of in James. Because in James chapter 4, verse 7, we are exhorted, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And we might say, well, 
What strength have we to resist the devil? Well, we, we, we might have no strength at all against someone that comes and fights against us. But if we resist, that resistance is seen. It's a very different thing, just going along with someone or resisting that person. And the Lord sees and knows that resistance. And we have this promise, he will flee from you. There's a beautiful illustration, really, of the difference of having the Lord on our side in the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, we have first, through Haman's wickedness, a sentence of death on all of the Jews. And there's great sorrow and weeping and wailing because of that sentence of death. That came from the king, with the king's seal on it. But then through Esther's intercession, it, that first letter could not be disannulled. The king couldn't say, well, no, there won't be a rising up against you. There won't have any opposition at all. We, we stop that. He couldn't do that. The same as Darius couldn't stop Daniel from going into the lion's den. But what he could do was to send another letter and give authority from the king to fight, to resist, to stand against all that would come against them. You know, when they had that letter, even though that day was still coming that the enemies would rise up, they were joyful. They were pleased and many of them became, many became Jews because of the fear of them. And how much more in a gospel day when we have the authority of the King of Heaven to stand against Satan, to resist him and to fight against him. Though we have no might nor power, Yet we have the King of Kings on our side. And we see that effect that it had with the Jews. And so may we be encouraged in that same way to resist the devil. And then fourthly, there's the promise that the Lord will not suffer us to be tempted above that which we are able. That is in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that he may be able uh, to endure it. And is a reminder in the earlier part of that that no temptation hath overtaken you but such as is common to man. And we would remember that sometimes we think, well, we're the only ones that are tempted like this, only ones that are tried like this. The Lord said, no, this is common amongst the people of God and very often amongst right through the world as well. But the Lord will not suffer you. He knows your strength and knows that grace and help that he will give. So we have again the passage that we mentioned with dear Peter what a promise we have the Lord saying I have prayed for thee in that very time of temptation that's what it was with Peter I have prayed for thee now he, Satan is trying to take all of the people of God 
But all the people of God are not having temptation at the same time or the same level or the same manner. But when they do come into those times, they are to know that the Lord that prayed for Peter is the same that will pray for them. He is one that is a voice that speaks for us in heaven's high court for good. He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we are to remember that. We have then a beautiful promise in Romans 16 and verse 20. Romans 16 is an interesting chapter. In the book of Romans we have many beautiful doctrines, very deep teaching, yet profound, simply set forth. But at that last chapter, suddenly this people, many people are mentioned. The people of God. You know, you think all doctrine, all teaching, it comes down to people. And may we be found amongst the people of God. And Paul has a word to them. To those that were obedient. He says, your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad therefore on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil, an obedient people. And what does he say about that obedient people? The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Satan was still attacking, still annoying, even those that were the obedient people of God. And yet what a promise they had. Bruise under your feet shortly. In this life and beyond death, Satan shall have no more reach to the people of God at all. A complete deliverance from Satan's hand. Let me have a beautiful promise. We'll finish with this in Isaiah 59. It's a beautiful word for the people of God when the enemy shall come in. Verse 19 in Isaiah 59. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Then we have, and the Redeemer shall come to Zion. That standard, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, the word of truth lifted up as a standard. Some of us know what it is to have temptation come so urgent, so quickly upon us, And as soon as that temptation has come, the word of God has come into our minds so quick and he has stopped that temptation dead. And it is a blessed thing when we have the Spirit of the Lord lifting up that standard against Satan. We are encouraged. We are in the day of grace, but that day of grace will soon be done. And Satan knows that his time is short and more and more he seeks to attack and take the children of God. How much we need the Lord's protection, the Lord's care, the Lord's help. 
thinking of Bunyan's pilgrim, we think of how they went out of that narrow way and then into the hands of giant despair. How needful we be regarding Satan's attacks that we be found in the king's highway and walking in his ways. Be mindful of that adversary that we have and reliant solely upon the strength and help and blessing of the Lord. Salvation, says Jonah, is of the Lord. And he that wrought at Calvary, who bruised Satan's head, he shall overcome for his people in time and bring them at last to be with him where there is no more Satan, where there is no more temptation, where those battles, those conflicts are all over. And remember this, Satan will not fight against those he's already got. He's already got them. He's already got their hearts. He's already had them in his clutches. But as soon as those start to pay attention to the word preached, start to read their Bible, start to be concerned for their souls, then Satan, he will start to attack that soul. He will start to discourage them and fight against them because he knows that he will lose them. And he knows as soon as they start seeking the Lord, whose they are, because they're seeking of the Lord, is because he has died for them and suffered for them. May we be encouraged in the Lord and encouraged that, tempted and tried though we are, yet it is not a sign against us, but a sign for us. We're held to resist and to cry out unto the Lord and to look to the Lord in all of our temptations and all of our trials. Remember, in our text, in this portion, the temple was built. Resisted they were, but the Lord prevailed. And the Lord at last, he came to that temple. He walked in that temple. And may we truly know the blessing of the Lord with us also. And may the Lord add his blessing. Amen.